0: Everybody ready? Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and start in prayer. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, Master of the Universe, who has blessed us and sanctified us in the words of your Torah, Father. I ask Father that you help each and every single person that uh, is listening to this here today, whether whether they're here with us right now or whether they watch it on demand. We ask, Father, that uh, you be with each and every single one of them and help guide them in their understanding of the Torah and of your word, Father. And we ask these things and pray these things in Yeshua's holy name, Yahweh. All right. So did everybody get a chance to go through the Torah portion this week? Mm -hmm. A little bit. A little bit? Okay. Yeah. Do you guys kind of see a theme within this Torah portion so far? There's, there tends to be a theme of marriage all throughout this, this Torah portion. Now, it's very interesting that, as uh, some of you guys know, I've been doing the series, The Garden of Peace, going through that amazing book by Rabbi Shalom Arush, and there's a woman's version as well that, me as a man, I'm not allowed to read, that is called uh, Women's Wisdom. And the thing is that uh, it's very interesting that the entire thing about marriage is the core focus of this particular Torah portion after saying to listen to that of the Shoftim, of the, of the judges of the Sanhedrin, which we went over last week. And uh, the, thing, the thing that is very interesting about that <coughs> is that we see within this, there are some attributes of marriage uh, that are very foreign to the Western mind. And the Western mind can misinterpret them a great deal. And this is the idea, of course, that we end up finding within that of Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse, well, we'll we'll, we'll start out with that one, but we find this concept in other places as well, where it says, Kittetzei (laughs) la mechma al oveecha untano Adonai Elohekeh. Be or vishavata and in the English reading from the Gutnick homish here, it says, uh, "And you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her, you will take her as a wife," and that's what it ends up saying in the Gutenberg here. Now, here's the thing. Is that throughout this Torah portion and a couple of the verses that we're going to be looking at, it seems to really go and endorse an idea of polygamy in many ways. If we read it on you know the in the Western mind, and uh, we just kind of go and disavow the rest of the Torah. Now a person can go and say, well you know, Christopher, there's uh, you know uh, we see Abraham Avenu, had several wives. We see that uh, you know Samson had several wives. We see that David al-Melech had several wives, and we see this progression all the way through. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth and see if it, if really, in many ways, the idea of multiple wives is actually what is being uh, purported here. Now the thing with this is that first of all, if we go and we start out with this, we got to go to Hazel. We learned this last week. It's important to go to Hazel. It's important to go to the sages. And what I have here in my notes is that the Or Chaim, which is uh, Chaim ben Atar, explains that the beautiful captive woman symbolizes the soul imprisoned within the mortal world. This is why the Torah refers to her as a beautiful woman, even though, The same law would apply if she wasn't beautiful. The beautiful woman signifies the neshama. Now, Rebbe Nachman of Breslev goes a little bit deeper into this here. Rebbe Nachman relates the Torah account of going to war to each person's battling his own evil inclination, his own yetzahara. Our enemies, this refers to the evil inclination. God uh, God, your Lord delivered them unto your hands. This can also be translated as they deliver God into, uh, God, your Lord into your hands. In other words, the evil inclination tries to perpetuate a person that uh, he has become a Zadik who can rule over God through his prayers. Now, the thing is that what we have to understand here is that with the, both of these concepts coming together from that of the Yor HaChaim as well as that of Rebbe Nachman of Breslev. What can we go and take from this? Anybody who'd like to speak up? What, what is it that we can take from this?
1: Well, uh, what I, I get here, I didn't read anything from the Rebbe, but what I'm reading here in, uh, from 10 to 14, that if you see a beautiful woman, hey, desire her, and you want to take her for a wife, you can bring her home, she shall shave her head, trim her nails, yep. but you have to wait in order to join her. A month, I believe, right?
0: Absolutely. So
1: she, has a, she has a time of war, being separated from her family and never maybe seeing them again. So, like her family are dead to in her eyes, and she's going through war that her family is dead.
0: Now, why could that be? Now, why could that be?
1: Do you think it's because of the possibility that her family may have been killed in the captivity? Or do you think that since she's picking on a new name, a new identity? She's like, this is a new me now. I have no family back where I was captured
0: from. This is my people now. And that could definitely be a part of the equation there. But what about also the, the reason and why it is that she was captured to be taken for a wife? You know – I think I think we have a majority of men in here right right now. Last week it was a majority majority of women. <laughs> and the thing about it, though is that you know let's let's speak openly about what the major part of the Yetzirah for men is. Yeshua goes and makes a note of this as well. Mm-hmm. It's sexual attraction, right?
1: Yeah.
0: That's something that men deal with rather often. Yeah. You know, it, it and it, it doesn't matter of. Uh, you know, what, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure that even Siddiquim, for this matter, go and deal with this very thing. And Yeshua goes and makes note, even if you look at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So we have this premise that, it, that, is, that is going through. So if the woman is gone and she is separated from the man that has taken her captive, what we see here is that Hashem is really kind of in many ways, you know, within that of Perkevos, chapter 1, verse 1, It goes and talks a great deal about uh, you know having to go and build a wall around the Torah. What's the reason for a wall being built around the Torah? Any takers on that one? The reason for a wall to be built around the Torah is because of the fact that we have to guard ourselves from going and uh, and breaking mitzvahs. For us going and not fulfilling the roles in which it is that we uh, have to fulfill. So sometimes we need guardrails in many ways. Just like, you know, you think of, you know, a child having, having the, the uh, tricycle as opposed to a bicycle or, you know, chash shalom God forbid a unicycle, you know, they got to have those three wheels to kind of keep them stabilized. And so, you know, us being B'nai Elohim, sons of Hashem, then, you know, in many ways, we need those guardrails in many ways. And that's the reason why the fence around the tower is being built. And so, as Gary Witten brought up, you know, the very next verse in verse 12, it goes and it tells us that, um, you know, that basically she is separated for, for a while. Why? So that, you know, first of all, they can both think to themselves, wait a minute here, let's make sure that we are actually in this. And this, you know, has a great deal to do with uh, – marriage within that of Judaism. You know, many people, even in today's times, go and does what is called a Sadoch. Anybody know what a Sadoch is? Nobody, okay. I'm going to educate you guys on the Sadoch. What a Sadoch is, let's say that it is that you are a man who has uh, huge problems with you know, meeting, meeting women, especially going and finding a wife. I'd be a great candidate for this. Uh, <laughs> what you do is you go and you go and hire a matchmaker. Oh, and the match, they are. Yeah. You go and you hire the matchmaker and the, you hire, you, you, you hire them. And then basically a contract is built out of this. You know, you, you meet the woman once. The second time you meet her, you're married to her. Now, here's the thing. That sounds really crazy in today's, in today's time, but it's still done in America today. Do you know what the success rate of a person who goes and hires a matchmaker and gets a sodoh? Do you know what the success rate is there? 100? Very close. 97%.
1: Okay.
0: 97% in 10 years. Now, let's think about this. You guys are all very familiar with you know, what, what I call the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew Roots Bow Movement, right? Do you, know, do you know what their statistics are for success within that of marriage? Forty? It's close to, yeah, within the 40-something 40, 40 percent in two years. Then you have Christianity, where it's somewhere around 51%. The Christians are actually doing better in five years. And so the the thing about it though is that why is this? Because it is a core, um, it's a core principle of Judaism. Ever since a child is small, whether it's a man or they're, they're, they're a woman, they learn about this covenant. They learn about the covenant of marriage from a very young age. When Rabbi Shalom Arush put out his book, or whenever um, Shmuli Batayoff, who many of you guys know, who was Michael Jackson's spiritual advisor, as a matter of fact, also did the TV show Shalom in the Home. He ended up putting out a book called Kosher Sex that dealt with the very same thing. Now, the thing is that, you know, Rabbi Shalom Arush and Smooly Bateoff's books are very similar. And these are usually books that are not bought by people who are inside of Judaism, even though they're individuals from Greslev and Chabad, but people outside of Judaism, who aren't familiar with these things. You don't find a majority of Jews going out and buying these particular books. Why? Because of the fact that they already know this stuff from a very early age. So when Ribby Nachman goes and talks about the Yetzirah, in many ways, the evil inclination, that plays a great deal into this, into this idea. Now, the thing about it, though, is that again, We said that we're going to be hitting on this whole polygamy thing, but we have to go to verses 15 and 16 in order order to do this. And to also, what we're going to do is look at some of the commentary from um, First Fruits of Zion on that, because they explain it beautifully, and I'll add a a little bit to that as a matter of fact. Uh, So let me go and turn to uh, verses 16 and 17 here. And I keep forgetting I'm reading a Jewish book. I'm turning the pages the wrong way. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> I
1: was just like, "Oh, wait a minute."
0: <laughs> Let's see here. Verse seventeen says, "Rather, we must acknowledge the firstborn son, the one that he hates, and give him a double share of all that he possesses, because he was conceived in his prime. He was, uh, uh, he had, uh, he has the uh, firstborn rights." And I forgot to uh, read verse sixteen, so we're kind of working backwards here. But verse sixteen says. What will happen is on the day that the father bequeaths his property to his sons, he will be able to give his son the one whom he gives the birthright precedence over the son with whom he hates, the firstborn son. Okay? Now, this entire premise over here is something that we end up seeing uh, when we combine these, these two ideas together. Right, if, or is anybody familiar with Rabbi Gershon? I don't think so, no. Okay, Rabbi Gershom lived about a thousand years ago. Okay. Now, it's it's very interesting that within Judaism today, you don't see polygamy. You don't see it there at all. Why is this? Because of Rabbi Gershom. And you would think that, you know, first of all, it would be out in, out, outlawed in the Talmud. Now, it kind of is in terms of Gemara and, and in terms of the Tanya. It is. But, however, it's not within the Mishnah section. It's never... Halakha, it's never you know a part of Shulchan rule. And it's very interesting that a rabbi that lived only a thousand years ago has actually instituted this halakha, and he was right in instituting this halakha. Now we can prove that he was right by going, believe it or not, to the New Testament. Within First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Let the Shamashim, and I'm reading this from the Orthodox Jewish Bible, right. be a Ba'ali. Um, isha achat one wife um uh one wife uh, husbands managing their banim and their own batim okay so we see that paul's telling timothy there one wife one wife only he also says in ephesians chapter 5 verse 33 each of you however should show the ahava for his isha as himself and an isha shall give reverence to her baal to her husband as we see in ephesians chapter 5 verse 33 now notice that he doesn't use a plural form there now the thing is that we find all throughout the new testament things such as this including matthew chapter 19 where the idea of one wife for human beings is instituted within that of the Guf hamashiach at that time now rabbi gershom as we mentioned before Outlawed it within that of the Ashkenazi community a thousand years ago. Now the thing about it though is that the Sephardi and the Yemenites they basically said no, we're going to keep going on our ways of polygamy and all these other things. But now notice today that you don't even find polygamy within that of the Sephardi uh, persuasion. The Yemenites—they're a very small group. I really can't go and say that. You know that 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 I have set, I have seen that this to be the case. Nor, I don't think that you know, there's any statistics to really go and, uh, to go and say that that is the case. I don't know. Does anybody else have any insight there before we move on? No, not me. Okay. Now, what are the reasons why Rabbi Gershom ended up going and uh, instituting this ban on polygamy? Okay, which actually is halakha today. Usually we don't have halakha. That comes after the time of the, uh, of the, um, of the Sanhedrin. But in terms of Rabbi, Rabbi Gershom, in today's time, all of Judaism has adopted it and has made it a part of each sect of Judaism. This is important. Here's the reasons why he says this. The so first of all, to prevent people from taking advantage of their wife. Okay. Do you guys have anything to say about that first point? No. Okay. The second is to avoid infighting between rival wives, which would lead to the breaking of several commandments of the Torah. And this is very true. Now, a person could say, what commandments would this be? Several different commandments. First of all, there would be jealousy involved which would bring about uh, uh, you know, uh, an increase of Yetzahara, which then would go and relate to Lashon Hara. And God forbid, it would end up going and, uh, you, know, um, you know, we've seen cases in Mormon communities where it is that it ultimately leads to murder. You know, big, you know, breaking of the commandment there. And, and Lashon Hara is one of the biggest, commandments to be broken you know because we even see that a person can get a a spiritual condition that causes metzorah causes leprosy as we find it within the torah portions Tazri, and metzorah uh let's see the third point he brings up is the issue with providing property to more than one wife okay now let's see here how many people in here are married right now Anybody other than Gary? I, th- I guess I guess Gary is the only one. I'm um, married. Okay, well there we go. We got uh, we got we got Carla. Okay, uh, let's see here. And yeah, no, I am. Okay, excellent. And Was that uh, James? James. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. It's good. It's good to hear you there, James. Yeah. Okay. Now think about this. Now, if you had more than one wife. What would your bank account look like? <laughs> Seriously, guys. I mean, think about it. What would your bank account look like?
1: Well, if all three of us weren't together, it wouldn't be so bad. I mean, like me and my wife, we both work – we both are doing pretty darn good. Right. I mean, I would say that we're well taken care of. We don't have so much, not, we don't have a lot of play money left over after our monthly and weekly
0: expenses, but everything is, met, all of our needs are totally met. But, well, think about this. What about medical? What about, um, you, you know, things such as, you know, insurance for vehicles? Yeah. What about, you know, you know and, and, and think of how much, how much more this, this would have been an issue during this time as well. You know, because first of all, they would have to have, you know, homes nearby. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, brand new homes. You know, I mean, it would be a heck of a financial strain. Now, what happens to financial strain within that of marriages?
1: Oh, break it, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And the final thing that Rabbi Gershom has um, in his book was if a man marries a woman, in a different location, illegitimate children would be born. This is very true. Just think about it. If they're in two different locations. And the thing about it, though, is that, you know, and, and this is not just with uh, with men. You know, with women as well, you know, there, there is this, um, I don't want to say addiction because addiction is not the right word. But there is this want and this need for a certain level of physical intimacy. Okay, now the thing with this particular, with in in terms of uh, of intimacy for for men, a majority of the time it's majorly physical. For women, on the other hand, the emotional. rabbis sage, "It's yeah, it's emotional. It's referred to uh, by many of the sages as her time, you know, and all that stuff." and And they say that because of the fact that basically. You know, it is what, is, what is probably the best way to put this? I'm trying to put this the nicest way possible here. Uh, for, for men, a man can always be ready. <laughs> a woman, on the other hand, totally different story. Totally different story. Because of that emotional aspect. And so, therefore, what happens when that emotional aspect, the thing that it is that they desire and the things that it is that they crave, is taken away from them? Well, then you're going to have, you know, a lot of fighting in in terms of that. And so the thing about it, though, is you guys have heard me say many times that in um, um, in terms of the halakha that Yeshua taught, I always end up saying that it was indeed a Hasidic halakha. You know, that it was Hasidic Judaism before Hasidic Judaism ever existed. And the thing about those is that we find this in terms of one of the earliest Hasids, be that of Rabbi Gershom, and we see that the Baal Shem Tov as well, later on, taught the very same thing as well as, well as did Rabbi Nachman of Bristlif, mm-hmm. as did Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, there's a little bit here. There's some really cool stuff in terms of, you know, you say, you say, okay, you know, Christopher, you've broken down this whole thing of, of polygamy in today's time. But what about the times of Abraham, you know, and Moses and David and all this stuff? And first, first, Zion does an amazing job here. Now, their commentary is on the verses that we just read. They said in the event that a man has two wives – both of which give birth to the firstborn sons of him. He is in accord with the rights of the firstborn to the elder of the two sons. The firstborn must be honored as the firstborn and receive double portion of inheritance. The law alludes to the story of Jacob's m- marriage to Rachel and Leah. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He opened her womb and she bore Jacob, the first son, as we see in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. So we already see here, you know, that Rachel was unloved, you know. So we see how it is that later on with Hasidic thought, how it is that that, uh, you know, we, you know, Rabbi Gershom put a lot of things together there. Mm-hmm. Several years later, Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, gave birth to her firstborn son, Joseph. Jacob uh, soon have, uh, should have given honor of the firstborn to the son of Leah, but he wanted in accord to honor Joseph. The two mothers represented two kingdoms of the divided monarchy and the representative royal dynasties. Leah represented the king of Judah under the dynasty of the sons of David and ultimately the Messiah, son of David. (coughs) Messiah, son of David, for those who don't know, is one of the um, is one of the names for the Messiah, Yeshua, as many people know as Jesus. And so. Uh, let's see here. Where, where are we at here? Uh, okay, Rachel represents the kingdom of, of Israel under the dynasty of the kings of Ephraim and ultimately the, the uh, Messiah, son of Joseph. Now, here's one of the things a lot of people don't realize. Uh, Meshiach ben Yosef, the term Messiah, uh, son of Joseph, is a, uh, is a term that actually came along in Talmudic writing later. Before it is, before it was said, Mashiach ben Ephraim. Now, why the change? Because Ephraim became apostate. Okay? Now, one of the things that will keep a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, so far away from Yeshua is history. A lot of it will be because of history. Because of the Crusades, many Jews died during the Crusades. Because of the Spanish Inquisition, Jews were ultimately targeted for that. Then we have the Holocaust. We also have, you know, the times of Constantine and Nero, you know, and several other individuals down the line. Individuals who claim to be uh, rep- representing the God of Israel and representing the Mashiach, Yeshua, ultimately going and uh, cursing and killing the Jewish Jewish people. And in Revelation chapter 12, what is the, uh, the one tribe we don't see mentioned there? Ephraim. Ephraim ended up becoming totally apostate. And the ones who didn't assimilated back to that of the tribe of Judah. That's why it is that we end up seeing that uh, uh, within that of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the Malkitav. We also find it in the Medrash Rabbah, where it says that all of the tribes are considered Jewish. And that deals with the fact that they all assimilated into Ju- to Judah after the Desparrah. Okay, so that's why it is the term Mashiach ben Aphraim was changed to Mashiach ben Yosef, or the suffering servant Messiah. Naturally, one expects the Messiah, son of David, to come from among the children of Leah, and the Messiah, son of Joseph, to come from among the uh, children of Rachel. But the New Testament readers know that Yeshua was in, um has inherited both roles. In his first coming, he suffered under the sins of Israel and died under the hands of the Romans the role assigned to the suffering Messiah, son of Joseph. In the second coming, he will establish the kingdom and take the throne of David, the role assigned to the triumphant uh, Mashiach ben David. The Torah's law about a man and his two firstborn sons hints at Yeshua's inheritance for both messianic roles. Each, through Jacob, gave the right of the firstborn to his son Joseph and the prestigious status um, returned to uh, rest upon the son of the unloved wife, the tribe of Leah's son, Judah, from the house of David. He was born a descendant of David according, uh, according to the flesh, as we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Now, I'm going to show you guys something here that might be kind of mind-blowing here, if I can find my chalk. Let me go and see if I can find that here. Uh, one second. Okay, guys. Mashiach ben Yosef is the suffering servant Messiah, right? Yep. Okay. Mashiach ben David, the conquering king Messiah that we end up finding as, you know, uh, Yeshua coming and coming twice, first in the Gospels and then within that of the, the, the book of Revelation as well as the book of Zakaria and Daniel and so on down the line. Uh-huh. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is that I don't know. If everybody here has heard me talk about the kabbalistic um, aspect of what is called Zeron Pin, I
1: but did a Zer- little
0: bit. Okay, Xerampine Pin deals with different points within that of the Sefirot, okay? Mm-hmm. And let me go and draw the chart that is usually dealing with the Sefirot, okay? Now Xerampine Pin goes and holds on to all of these right over right over here and right through here. There's only two attributes that are not a part of Xerampine. Pin okay and you're saying what does that have to do with anything has, has has a lot to do with this because of the fact that when we think of this chart we can go and think of first of all the cross that yeshua was put upon here and this is a a huge huge messianic prophecy right over here because first of all when mashiach ben yosef the suffering servant that's very interesting Because over here, at this point, over here on the Sefirot, is what is chesed. Anybody know what chesed is? Guess not. Chesed means loving kindness. This deals with the attributes of the suffering servant Messiah. Now, the interesting thing is that his other arm, his other hand, right over here, is gevurah. Anybody know what Gavur is? Might. Might and? Has, uh, uh, let, me, let me help you out here. Has the same definition as the word Mishpat. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Judgment. Okay. All right. Much like in the court system, innocent until proven guilty. Over here we have Tiferet and Da'at. Da'at represents knowledge. You know, the, you got the testimonies, then you're divvied out the judgment. Okay, so we see the two comings of Messiah right over here within a Kabbalistic idea that is actually stems all the way back from that of Joseph with Leah and Rachel. Pretty interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, that is, that's great. It's like, it gives the execution on the cross a little bit more meaning where it's like, whoa, okay. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you add in some of these other points here. Because Keter, over here, we have the crown of thorns that was placed upon Yeshua's head. Mm-hmm. It's the mind of God. Mm-hmm. Then we have down here at the bottom where the feet are, we see that we actually have this definition within that of uh, the, uh, the book of Yeshua, the book of Isaiah, where it talks about the malchut, the kingdom, being at his feet, that's where that is. And he was also born of a virgin, which is in the general region over here, which deals with Yasod, which deals with foundation. So we have all of those attributes right over there. Um, that's all I got here today for this week's Torah portion. It might, yeah, it ended pretty early, but I, I want to see if anybody else has any other questions about any other, any other part of the Torah portion or anything that it is that we just discussed. Hmm. And I'll wait for you guys to think there, if you guys have any questions. And anybody who does, just go ahead and speak up. Well, where do we stop at? Did we stop at
1: verse 17? Um, uh, verse... 17. 17, okay. Yes, okay. Because I'm reading the stone Tanakh edition. I was getting uh, the commentary out of
0: theirs. And... Yeah, the stone edition is great. Have you seen this one? Not that color, no. That is. This is this is actually the goat neck. This was put up by Habad. Uh, Chabad. Yes. Yeah, you get a lot of Rebbe Schneerson's commentary in this one. Mm-hmm.
1: I do a lot more study. One thing that I need to do is study the Rebbe's and sages a little bit more. My time well, right now doesn't allow me, but I would like to develop and their teachings a the little tiny bit more.
0: You know what I would say probably probably, probably the, the best way and the cheapest way to do that? is um, after Shabbos, go and order yourself a copy of Shulchan Arul. And basically what that is, uh, it's the book of Jewish law. And what that does is that it has, it condenses down the rulings of the sages, the official rulings that are found within the Mishnah of the Talmud, and puts it into about three, three books that you can read your uh, Torah with and also get the rulings right there within it as well, much in the same way that the... Uh, that the stone edition Tanakh has different commentary from like Rashi and the Bomb Bam and so on and so forth. It kind of does the same thing, but with those rulings in there saying, okay, right. we have the ruling for the Shabbos. This is what Shulchan Aruch says, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yep. No money. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, so, you know, you can go and do that. Or um, also, uh, you know, on my website, lapidjudaism.com in the store section, we actually have a heavily discounted set of Talmud. And it's actually the set of Talmud that I myself use um, the 23 books, this size for, I think it's 300, you know, which usually is thousands. So, you know, that's another, another thing to look into as well. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Let's see. Any, any other questions or, on the Torah portion, or anything else that, in, in terms of the Torah portion that we didn't discuss. I got all my commentaries over here, so any questions that you guys have on something that we didn't talk about, I'd be more than happy to go and look up for you. Um,
1: nope, that's about it, I think. let look okay. up with everything else later.
0: Let me see. This
1: one, because I know it starts off here that
0: it, it deals with um, so. wayward sons. Like rebellious mm-hmm. kids. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And and in, and in terms of that, we actually have uh, one of the most popular uh, parables of the New Testament as well. Goes a great deal in, into that as well. But also, one of the things that we ultimately end up seeing that is slightly different in Yeshua's parable and what is written in here is that it seems a little bit more harsh within the Torah, does it not? Or within the Torah Shevich The thing that we ultimately have to realize here is that many things within the Torah, the written Torah, are not to be taken absolutely literal, but instead supposed to get you to think about certain things. And this is why it is that when, you know, first of all, Yeshua goes and says, you know, you've heard, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, but I say to you, was Yeshua actually going against the Torah? No. As a matter of fact, he was going and showing how it is that, first of all, some of these things within that of the Torah, in terms of uh, laws that are called Hokim, uh, which basically cannot be classified into a system with Hokim law, basically what you have is, um, um, you know, you're, 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 you're supposed to exercise chesed in those things by thinking, hey, First of all, something bad could happen over here Mm -hmm. if I ended up going and doing it this way. Let's see here. It looks like Donnie was able to get his microphone started there. Donnie, do you have any questions there, big guy? I guess not. Uh, Let's see. What about – let's see. We got – Terrence, you got any questions there, big guy? (laughs) no
1: <laughs> okay well I,
0: I saw Donnie there for a second Donnie do you have uh, something to contribute there big guy
1: I, I guess I'll pick it up
0: <laughs> let's see well let's, uh, let's see get, Donnie do you have anything you need to say there any questions on, on the Parshas <laughs> I don't think Donnie can hear us. He he sounds like he's battling Godzilla over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Let's uh let's go to uh let's see, Angela or Carla. I see Emmy um, I mean Malek made his way in. Also Otto. Any of you guys got anything that we need to cover in the Parshis? I just want to make sure nobody feels left out. <laughs> All right. Everybody's good. All right. Well, guys, um, I'm going to wish everybody Shalom bracha, Peace and a blessing. Shalom, shalom.
1: Yes. Salat shalom.
0: Excellent. So you want to learn Hebrew, Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out Hebrewandaramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Tadashah, so visit Hebrewandaramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.